Most Christians think that God is impressed with their efforts to please Him by what they do. Coming up next on Daily in Christ, we'll see that that focus on our do for God is actually self-righteous, contrary to faith, and evokes the terror of the Lord. Welcome once again to the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm Mark Vanus. We have been in a, well, I guess you could say epic study of the book of Hebrews just by the sheer number of parts. And right now, this is installment number 46. But the book of Hebrews itself is epic and powerful and great because it speaks to the basis of the gospel of grace. Now, last time in part 45, we looked at the real reason behind the trials that we face in this life and why they happen. There are many misconceptions about the role of difficulties or testings or trials in the life of the believer. Most believe that they are brought into our lives to refine us, to make us stronger, to make us more Christ-like. But that is not the case when you look at these aspects where they come up in the scripture in context. Rather, it's about the trying of our faith, and that faith is the gift of God. You see, the trying of our faith trains us to rely on Christ within and not ourselves living as stranded orphans. We also looked at the powerful results of the grace of God in our lives to move beyond discouragement and understand that we are children of God who are being trained to walk by faith by a loving Heavenly Father. And by the way, when we walk by faith, by extension, that means that we are depending upon the grace of God, Romans 4.16. We also learned to pursue to pursue peace with all people, to pursue holiness. And this is not our own holiness. This is the perfect holiness of God, without which no man will see the Lord. We also learn the importance of resting and relying upon the grace of God and the great good that happens when we rest and rely on the grace of God and the great harm that happens when we don't. Well, today I have uh, titled this particular episode, and it's uh, based in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 21, The Terror of the Law. You know, all through the book of Hebrews, we see the huge difference between the covenant of law and the new covenant of grace. When we're looking at that old covenant of law, what we see is the never-ending, ever-repeating work of the law covenant priests. Why did they constantly work? Why are they constantly uh, performing all of the different ceremonies and rituals and uh, sacrifices and so forth? Because those sacrifices were imperfect. Now, we talked a lot about this in Hebrews chapter 10. It came up. Uh, at the beginning part of Hebrews chapter 10, and I encourage you to listen to those particular lessons where we were teaching that. But there is a direct connection between having, on the one hand, an imperfect sacrifice means that you have to work over and over and do it over and over and over and over again, 
as opposed to the perfect sacrifice where it's done, it's completed, there's no need to do it again. One of the sharpest contrasts that we find in the book of Hebrews between the old covenant of law and the new covenant of grace is pictured vividly here in the latter parts, the latter part of Hebrews chapter 12, where we see two mountains, Mount Sinai versus Mount Zion. One, Mount Sinai, is a place of judgment and terror. The other, Mount Zion, is a place of God's love and perfect joy. Now, we will get to the verses in Hebrews chapter 12 that we're going to be focusing on today. But to set it up, we have to go back to the accounts in the Old Testament of the events that are referred to here in Hebrews chapter 12. And to do that, I want you to turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Exodus chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. And to set this up, God had miraculously delivered the nation of Israel under the leadership of God through his servant, Moses. They escaped Pharaoh and Egypt. They were delivered powerfully through the Red Sea, and they end up in the Arabian desert before a lonely mountain called Mount Sinai. And it is here that they experience uh, a powerful encounter with God. Before we get into this text and the text that we're going to be looking at today, let's go to the God of the Word. It's important for us to do that before we go to the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a speaking God. And thank you, Lord, that though you are infinite, and unknowable and ineffable, yet you choose through your heart of love to make yourself known. Father, we thank you for the word of God, the scripture. And Father, we do not rely upon our own human understanding, but we rely upon you. We rely specifically upon the Holy Spirit who breathed these words that became the scripture. And Father, I pray that by the Spirit, you would bring to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Lord, as we look at these verses, these passages today, enlighten them by the Holy Spirit, that we may know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, are you there? Exodus chapter 19, let's begin in verse 1. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, Tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel." So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all the words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people 
answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. I want to pause right there on this account in Exodus chapter 19 to point out a very critical point in verse 8. Notice what the people said, and they said this together. They said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Do you know that those words are some of the most arrogant words in all of the Bible? I know some of you are sort of shaking your head and, and thinking, wait a minute, did you just say what I thought you said? Those words, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, are some of the most, Mark, did you say that right? Arrogant words in all the Bible? Absolutely. They are arrogant. Why is this statement so arrogant? I want to read to you in the book of Romans, and if you've got your Bible, I hope you do as we are doing these studies, unless you're behind the wheel and driving, then pay attention to the road. But here's what it says in Romans chapter 3, where really we find out the role of the law in the New Testament, specifically in the book of Romans and in Hebrews and in Galatians. But in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, it says this, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. One, Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says... It says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. That's in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 20. Now, did you notice in verse 19, it says that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. That's even the stopping of the mouth that would dare to say to God, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. You see, at the epicenter of the law is our do. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, listen to this. It says, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evidence, for the just shall live by faith. Now, that's the righteous principle. That's the, the principle that pleases God. The just shall live by faith. Verse 12, yet the law is not a faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. And that's in Galatians three eleven to 12. And by the way, verse 12 is a quotation from Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5. Israel, before holy God, at Mount Sinai, had the gall to say, again in Exodus 19, verse 8, they had the gall to say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Folks, that is flesh. 
That is self-righteous. That is repulsive to holy God. Now, I want you to notice God's immediate response to this arrogant, self-righteous, all we will do. God responds with law, terror. Let's pick it up at Exodus chapter 19, beginning in verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, Be ready, for the third day do not come near your wives. Now I want to point out here something that's very important. At this point in Israel's history, a titanic shift takes place in terms of how God relates to Israel. Before this time, before Sinai, God related to his people on the basis of promise and blessing. Why? Because they were children of Abraham. They were born of one who is chosen of God, namely Abraham. They were Abraham's seed, and so they were heirs of the promise and the blessing. Now, in response at this point in time to the arrogance and sinfulness of their self-righteousness, God now relates to Israel on the basis of law and judgment. It's interesting because before this point in the timeline of Israel's history, Israel did a lot of things wrong. They grumbled and they complained, but nothing happened. But after this point, when they did those sorts of things, when they sinned before the Lord, they were killed. Beforehand, God was blessing them. He was doing miracles and wonders, and he was delivering them. After Sinai, he was killing them whenever they failed. And they were terrified of the Lord. Let's read the rest of Exodus chapter 19 and see this image of the terror of God and the terror of the law. Verse 16, Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. 
Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn these people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And I want to just stop right there. You understand what it means when it says the Lord breaking out. That means the Lord breaking out to kill them in judgment. Verse 23, but Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you warned us saying, set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, away, get down and then come up and you and Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. Now, do you see this picture? Boundaries are put up. Now, I want you to understand that God is indeed holy. That means that God is completely other, completely separate, completely distinct. There is none other but God. And the holiness of God is a good thing. But here we see boundaries being established where God is saying, you can come so far and no further. And yet, we've been through the book of Hebrews for 12 chapters And what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us allows us freedom and confidence to draw near to God. So there is a better thing that is coming. But right here in Exodus chapter 19, you can see the raw terror of the Lord is beginning to happen. There's warnings, dire warnings. God has stepped down to the mountain and then he gives them the Ten Commandments. Did you know? that the Ten Commandments were not at first delivered on tablets of stone. The Ten Commandments were delivered by the thundering voice of God at Mount Sinai. The people heard God for themselves. Now, we pick it up at Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 18. Watch the whole scene and the response of the people. Now, all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Do you notice that? They trembled and they stood afar off, distant from God. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So the people stood far off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Wow. What a what an amazing scene. Okay, now, with that fresh in our minds, let's go ahead and flip back over to Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to pick it up in verse 18. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 18. 
And this is what it says, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burn with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Now we're going to stop right there because in this lesson, we just want to focus on this first mountain, the mountain of law, Mount Sinai. And I think you will agree with me that it was a terrifying experience. Remember, these people never heard of the law or the Ten Commandments or Mount Sinai before. Now, I want you to see as we go through verses 18 through 21, the characteristics of this mountain, Mount Sinai, and by extension, the concept of law, the mountain of law. First of all, and let me take us back to verse 18. It says this, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched. That mountain is a physical, earthly mountain. And you can see that it was, there was fire, there was blackness, there was darkness, there was tempest, there was the blast of a trumpet. Imagine, this is not like a little trumpet you see in an orchestra. This was a trumpet of gargantuan sound. It was ear splitting. Folks, to, to get a little bit of perspective here, Israel numbered over 2 million people. They were spread out across the plain of Sinai in every direction around the mountain. It was a huge geographic location for any horn to be heard over such a great distance. It had to be a very powerful sound, and it kept getting louder and louder and louder. It was a fearful and intimidating scene. Uh, the mountain burned with fire. There was blackness. There was darkness, gloom. You know, uh, in the Amplified Version, which captures the sense of the original language of the Bible, it says that it was a raging storm. That's what was going on at Mount Sinai. I mean, it was storming. There was blackness. There was fire. And in Exodus chapter 19, verse 16, it says that the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. We also see at this Mount of Law, Mount Sinai, the voice of words. God was speaking directly to them, and it was loud, and it was fearful, it was intimidating. And look at the reaction of the people. This is in Hebrews twelve nineteen. It says, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. So we see that there's the voice of God in a loud, frightening fashion, thundering from Mount Sinai. And then the other characteristic of this mountain of law is death. It said, if so much as a beast or a man touches the mountain, even a, an, an animal that doesn't know any better. You don't even touch them. They are to be killed by being stoned or shot through with an arrow. In fact, the whole scene was so terrifying, so awful that in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 21, it, 
of Moses, it said, he, he said, I am exceedingly afraid. This goes way beyond a lonely mountain in the Arabian desert called Sinai, Mount Sinai. This vividly describes the law, terrifying, relentless, deadly. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 says this about the law, that the law is a ministry of death. 2 Corinthians 3.9 says that the law is a ministry of condemnation. Under the law, no one escapes. As it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 19, we've already referred to this earlier, but I want to bring it up again, so that all the world becomes guilty before God. This is the effect of the law of God. C.I. Schofield draws a vivid contrast between law and grace. This is powerful. Listen, and he quotes John chapter 1, verse 17, which reads, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Schofield goes on to say, The most obvious and striking division of the word of truth is that between law and grace. It is vital to observe that Scripture never mingles these two principles— Law is God prohibiting and requiring. Grace is God beseeching and bestowing. Law is a ministry of condemnation. Grace of forgiveness. Law curses. Grace redeems from that curse. Law kills. Grace makes alive. Law shuts every mouth before God. Grace opens every mouth to praise him. Law puts a great and guilty distance between man and God. Grace makes guilty man nigh to God. Law says do and live. Grace, believe and live. Law never had a missionary. Grace is to be preached to every creature. Law utterly condemns the best man. Grace freely justifies the worst. Law is a system of probation, grace of favor. Law stones an adulteress. Grace says, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Under law, the sheep dies at the hand of the shepherd. Under grace, the shepherd dies for the sheep. That is powerful. That's from C.I. Schofield, and it's based right upon the truth of the Word of God. But I appreciate the way he so succinctly draws out the contrast between law and grace. But what does the law accomplish? The people who fearfully said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, only a couple of weeks later were casting an idol and worshiping it. Yep, the same Israel that said, oh, okay, yes, all that the Lord tells us to do, we will do. Just a few weeks later, they were denying God. They cast an idol, a golden calf, and they were worshiping it, saying, these are the gods that delivered you from Egypt. What else does the law accomplish? It provokes sin. Romans chapter 5 verse 20 talks about this. Also Romans chapter 7 verses 14 through 25 talks about the uh, interface of the law on the sinner. And also 1 Corinthians chapter 15 
uh, verse 56. I want to go for a moment to Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Romans 5, 20, and here's what that says. It says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. That's Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Now, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56, listen carefully. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Did you hear that? The strength of sin is the law. The law actually strengthens sin. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56. You say, well, Mark, how can that possibly be? Well, that's what Romans chapter 7 in what's called the struggle verses, verses 14 through 25 is all about. I don't have time here to get into that. I have a whole teaching uh, about the real meaning of the book of Romans and those struggle verses right here at our Daily in Christ uh, website, dailyinchrist.org. It's one of uh, my early podcasts in the Daily in Christ series, podcast series. The law, what does it accomplish? It is a ministry of death and condemnation, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 and 9. Here's the bottom line of the law. God is unapproachable because of our sinfulness. As long as we think we are righteous enough, good enough for God, then there is nothing left but the dread and gloom and terror of law. Meanwhile, under the new covenant, God is very approachable because of his righteousness and grace freely given through Jesus Christ, his perfection and his perfect finished work. I want us to read Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. This really captures the uh, powerful theme that we have seen throughout the book of Hebrews. I want you to get a hold of this idea. Law is for the self-righteous. Law is for the one who would be so deluded into thinking that they can in some form or fashion approach God, please God, be justified before God by their own due, their own action. No, that's, that's not true. We are justified before God because of his righteousness. Romans chapter 1 verse 17 says that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Okay, now Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, talking about the approachability of God under the new covenant, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need." Oh, this is such great news. We go back to Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 18. Here's verse 18 and 19. It says, For you have not come 
to the mountain of terror, the mountain of law, Mount Sinai, that may be touched and that burn with fire, and to blackness and darkness and tempest, and to the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them any more. We have great news. And that great news, because of the perfection of the Son of God, the perfection of the Lamb of God, the perfection of our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his perfect finished work, the result is we have not come to the mountain of law, to the mountain of terror, to Mount Sinai, but we have come to Mount Zion, verse 22, Hebrews 12, verse 22. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. That's in Hebrews 12, 22 through 24. Well, we're going to get more into that, and it's exciting, in our next edition of the Daily in Christ podcast. But we needed to spend this time here to talk frankly about what the Bible calls the ministry of law. People think that somehow, and Christians think this way as well, that, well, um, if I obey and do all these things, then God will be pleased with me and I'm going to be blessed. The fact of the matter is, do you notice how much I am in the middle of all that? You know, I will do this, I will obey, God will be pleased with me. No. It's not the righteousness of you It's the righteousness of God that matters. Now, there are those who don't know the Lord, who are unsaved. They have not received the gift of salvation because at the core is this belief that somehow that God is relating to them on the basis of what they do. That would make them God. God is not relating to us on the basis of our goodness. He is always relating to us on the basis of his goodness. And if we dare to approach holy God with our own self-righteousness, we are seeking glory to ourselves as God instead of glory going to God where it belongs. The law is like a relentless hound. It will hunt down the sinner, and it provokes the sinner's sin nature out of hiding. And once that sin nature comes out of hiding, it's not hidden from God, the sinner is so deluded in their own self-righteousness that they fail to understand that they're in a death condition, they're in trespasses and sins, they're lost, that they are a child of the devil, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, that they're children of wrath. But what happens when the law comes in? It provokes that sin nature out of hiding. And then the sinner begins to say, oh, no, woe is me. Every time I want to do something good, there's, I'm doing something bad. And the good thing I want to do, I don't do. But the bad thing I don't want to do. And it breaks the sinner down 
so that they flee for refuge to God himself and they call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and are saved. What a great salvation. God knows how to deal with us. He knows how to deal with that self-righteousness, that arrogance. There is the terror of the law. And Christ has fulfilled all, fulfilled all the points of the law from the heart all the time. We've talked about this over and over and over again through this series, so I'm not going to bring it up in depth right here, except to say we are no longer like Israel of old at the time of Moses before that mountain of terror, the mountain of law. But we are before Mount Zion, the city of the living God. And I can hardly wait to share with you the good things from uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24. Let's pray. Father, as I as we conclude this lesson, I just think of those words that... Uh, are at the beginning of the book of Hebrews. The word so great a salvation. And Lord, it is so great a salvation. It is the work of God in bringing us close to yourself. It is the work of God that allows us to draw near to you and not run from you. It is the wonder of fellowship with you as a father with a child. And your words are no longer words of fear, words of terror, but your words are words of love. Father, I pray that by the Holy Spirit, you will take the word that we have shared together today and that you would continue in our lives, in my life, in the life of the one who is listening today. I pray that you would enlighten it to their understanding, that they may know you in a deeper and more profound way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.